You are listening to Youth Talk Climate, an environmental issues podcast by young people for young people. This podcast is created in association with the Alliance for Climate Education. I'm Kali Gagan. I'm Stella Milfred. I'm Lucy Morales. And I'm Sophie Smith. In honor of Women's History Month this March, we've brought together several incredible women in climate activism to tell us about what it's like to be a woman in the movement, as well as their take on a variety of environmental issues. Nada El-Makashvi is an active figure in Wisconsin politics, most well known for her 2020 run for state Senate seat D26. Her campaign was defined by an environmental platform and she received endorsements from the Sunrise Movement and the Youth Climate Action Team, or YCAT. She is currently serving as a Chief of Staff for, for Wisconsin State Representative Francesca Hong and is a columnist for the Isthmus newspaper. Ashley Young is an education program manager for the Alliance for Climate Education and a lifelong advocate for environmental justice. Based in Hillsborough County, Florida, she's the founder of Students for the Environment at Hillsborough Community College and has a master's in global sustainability. She's currently working with ACE to create an educational video series to combat climate-related misinformation. She's also a new mom. Ayanna Lee is a climate activist based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She's the executive director of the Youth Climate Action Team and co-organized the 2019 Milwaukee Climate Strike. YCAT has become a global organization with various grassroots campaigns in three continents and more than 1,000 organizers. Um, Abby Ross is a climate organizer and educator. Based in Dane County, Wisconsin, she's the project manager for Art to Change the World and a member of the executive committee of Sierra Club Wisconsin. She also worked for the Alliance for Climate Education and has written for the Madison Magazine. Noke is a climate justice activist currently working in solidarity with the GNU Collective to stop the Line 3 pipeline. Line 3 is an Enbridge pipeline being built in Northern Minnesota. Noke is working alongside a growing movement to prevent the pipeline's construction on indigenous lands. At Youth Talk Climate, we're always trying to learn and grow both as climate activists and as human beings. We found the stories of these women very inspirational and I hope you do as well. We've got an awesome episode for you this month. So without further ado, here's our first Women's Climate Roundtable. Hi, I'm Noke. I use they, them pronouns. Um, I'm currently living up north and I'm working in solidarity with the GNU Collective. I can go. Hi, I'm Ayana. My pronouns are she, they. Um, I was previously based in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, but I am now in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I am the, a co-founder of YCAT, but uh, right now, a lot a lot of the things that we're doing in Minneapolis is a lot of mutual aid work and just helping out in the community, getting people groceries um, and any, pretty much like any supplies or anything that they really need. My name is Ashley Young. I use she, her pronouns. Uh, I'm based out of Tampa, Florida, and I work with the Alliance for Climate Education and also am a new mom. I'm Nada. I use she, her, hers pronouns. I am based in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, I recently ran for Senate, came in second in a seven-way primary, um, and now I'm chief of staff to state rep 
Francesca Hong. Uh, we're writing the Wisconsin Green New Deal, and I've served on uh, the Sustainable Madison Committee. Hello, everyone. My name is Abby. I use she, her pronouns, and I am in Dejope, or Four Lakes, also known as Madison, Wisconsin, on Ho-Chunk land. And I am on the executive committee for the Wisconsin chapter of the Sierra Club, also serving on their finance and equity committee. So next, if you could all say, what got you into climate activism? And did you feel welcomed when entering the climate movement? Well, I've always cared really deeply about the earth, um, the environment, um, felt very spiritually connected. Um, and um, like coming up north was a very surreal experience for me. Um, and I felt very welcomed and very, very embraced by the community um, with um, having like amazing food, um, karaoke by the fire, um, and um, just like priceless knowledge that I've been able to obtain up there. Um, I've been doing a lot of learning and a lot of unlearning. So it's been amazing. Um, my junior year of high school, I think it was junior year, uh, I took an environmental science class at my school. Uh, I go to, an, uh, or I went to, I graduated high school. I went to an IB school. And so we have like a lot more options for classes than most of the public schools in the city. Uh, so environmental sciences was one of the things I knew I really wanted to take advantage of. And I ended up getting like really, really interested and in, into like how I could help and like what my place would be in that. And it was literally the exact same time that the first climate strike was happening. And so I ended up getting in contact with a few of my friends that I had already known that were based in Madison um, that were organizing. And then we ended up like literally like a month after that is when YCAT um, was formed as a nonprofit. And then we just ended up working really hard for a really long time and now we're still here. Um, for me, it was I took some environmental studies uh, courses in college. I ended up getting an environmental studies certificate, um, and I hadn't really kind of conceptualized environmental action as something I could be a part of um, until I kind of was forced to with flooding here in Madison and seeing the detrimental impacts on communities of color and communities that weren't being served in the state legislature. Um, and I, I. I think I was welcomed. I think it was very much me deciding that this was something I cared about and making space for myself. Um, certainly in, in the legislature, it's a little bit different, but within organizing, um, that's what I generally found. Yeah, I would echo similar to many panelists that my first exposure to the climate movement or any of this work was through the classroom. Um, I didn't grow up having conversations about climate change. And so it was first when I went to college really that I was exposed to that conversation at all. Um, but moving on from there, I always found the community really welcoming. I felt, I think, first of all, the spirituality of the community and really felt um, some closeness with people who I worked with early on. I think the question for myself was more so where do I plug in and where do I fit? But there was always a welcoming um, community on the other side, helping me figure that out. I'd say I, 
think around high school, I vaguely remember seeing an inconvenient truth, but very much being like, oh my gosh, that's horrifying that Florida's like could be underwater, but I'm glad they figured it out and someone's working on it. Right. Um, and so then a couple of years later, I went to community college, uh, and was joined an honor society and, um, was kind of getting involved with clubs and some student activity fee money with the student government and was kept seeing it time and time again, like all these decisions to buy uh, lots of plastics and things that people didn't use. And like, I wanted to make more um, informed decisions. So we didn't have an environmental club and I started a students for the environment club, um, which kind of was changed my, my whole trajectory for um, learning about so many people working in this space and kind of making it their full-time um, life of focusing on making the world a better place and helping people to make better decisions uh, and protecting the environment and realize that I could be that person to try to um, undo a lot of, or like work in the space of, of um, climate activism. So, and I think I found someone inviting. Uh, it took a few years to find a a uh, position that I could pay my bills with. Um, so that, that was kind of very difficult in the beginning, working three part-time jobs, um, but feeling, feeling good where we are now. All right, thank you for sharing. Our next question is kind of like, who are your role models when it comes to climate activism? And then were there any in, women influential in making you want to fight for the climate crisis? Um, I've been blessed with the opportunity to meet slash listen slash learn from Tara Hauska. Um, she has just been um, so amazing throughout my entire experience up there. Um, it's, again, I say surreal because um, just being able to like honestly bask in the presence of her is an honor. Um, she just has she just cares so deeply with her heart about the earth, about other people, um, and not just about the climate issue, but about uh, many other issues. She talks about um, the movement with George Floyd that uh, my community in Minneapolis is still dealing with. Um, so it's just amazing to be able to see one of my role models in real life and um, and how they're handling um, dealing with line three and how they're handling dealing with like this hurt in their community in a way that I can understand, not understand, but I can, I can see a different perspective other than my own um, and kind of um, understand that in a different way based on how my community is hurting. Yeah, um, she sounds amazing. The role models that like, that really come forward for me are like the young people that step up and like what you all are doing with this podcast and the magazine um time and time again every people who are like in school and take all of their extra time to work on this issue that like you didn't contribute to and it's like totally not your fault and shouldn't be your responsibility that's always um a real uh, the truest kind of role model to me our next question is, what unique challenges do you face as women in climate activism? Um, I think that a big one is like mansplaining. I don't know. I feel like that's, that's a problem in like any space that women are in with men. They just tend to like think that they can say something 10,000 times better than you can. Or that like if you say something, they have to repeat it. Like they have to say it like in bigger words louder 
over you and it's a lot to handle sometimes. That's definitely like a big one. I think one problem in the movement is like just the the state of our country and like men still controlling the majority of the purse strings. Um, and so like I see women in the doing the work uh, of this movement, being in the meetings and pushing things forward all the time. Um, but behind like the funding, there are men and just like they're not as involved in the work a lot of times where it, it should be more like equal, I think. Um, I completely agree. Um, I think that women throughout history have been at the forefront of many movements, um, especially Black women and BIPOC women um, have been leading these movements um, time and time again. And it's hard because throughout all of this history, I feel like not her story, it's um, it's always men um, shown as leading these movements and being the progressive ones or making changes. Um, but it's really the women who have been overshadowed or forgotten, who have been um, very prominent at the front lines of many, many different movements throughout history. I think for me, the, the struggles that I've encountered is this inability to take you know, young people and anyone who is in a white, cis, um, hetero man seriously, and this inability for people to view our voices collectively um, as a force that not only like deserves listening to, but as one that deserves space and, and moving away from from taking up, you know, space that that has historically not been ours or we aren't allowed to be in. And so for me, it's been kind of a, a learning experience of, you know, we don't need permission to lead, especially in places where, you know, people have, have uh, or white men specifically have, have failed us. And, and in places, you know, not just climate justice, but all the other justices that, that play into it. Um, so it's, it's scary going up against people that are literally, they don't care about your humanity. They don't understand or empathize with so many issues that a lot of us encounter every single day um but you know your presence alone in this in this movement you're you're asking for for more in terms of of the environment in itself is is, is you know something revolutionary and so kind of understanding the gravity of, of what we're all doing helps me get through the imposter syndrome because there's a lot of that <laughs> in in the capital. Yeah, wow, that, I found that really powerful. Kind of as a follow-up to anyone who has any thoughts, uh, what does climate justice mean to you uh, and how has it uh, affected the way you uh, try to create change? Personally, to me, like I perceive climate justice as like abolition pretty much as of the entire like existing American system uh, whether that be everything plays into it, whether it be um, prison abolition or abol police abolition all of those things are what creates climate justice and when you realize like how much um, all the systems that America's put into place capitalism um, electoralism, all of those things, all they do is take advantage of people and thrive off of leaving people in poverty and to suffer. And so as soon as you realize like that the way 
to climate justice is take those things down is what really gets the ball rolling on making a real change. Um, I loved everything you had to say. Um, it's so, it's so real. Um, I also think that within climate justice, um, there's a lot of whiteness around it. Um, and like the movement kind of gets lost in that, especially maybe like some white activists get lost in that. They're like, yes, the environment, but what about environmental racism um, or anything else like that? Um, it's really hard in this movement um, to be very focused on like as a black woman to be focused on the climate and all of this when I'm still dealing with having rights on a daily basis. Um, and like with black people dealing with police brutality and worried about losing their children's lives on a daily basis. It's hard to step away from that movement to come to a whole different thing. Um, so, so yeah. Um, I just think that climate justice is is a lot more than just climate justice, and all of these movements are so wrapped wrapped together that um, we can't just think about climate justice anymore. We have to think about justice as a whole. Yeah, I think that's very profound, and I'd I'd echo that, which is you know climate justice is so inherently linked to economic justice and 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 criminal justice and and these and reforms that we need on like a social political and economic level that make activating for climate on environment alone not enough and so I think what it means for me is is really looking at you know what does progressive politics mean how do we go beyond just the democratic party and understand that we need to root out white supremacy first of all, um, before we can make any headway in terms of, of climate justice. And so it's, it's not a very small undertaking, right? It kind of gets overwhelming how many things you need to solve first before you can even think of, of keeping uh, the Earth's temperature down. Um, but it's, I think that's why climate justice is such a, a, a valiant movement is because its inherent in existence is fighting against white supremacy if it's done right. It's uplifting, you know, black women like myself, you know, women in general, non-binary folks and people that are underprivileged in the working class um, first and foremost. And so that I don't think you see in, in so many other justice movements there. They take very much a small aspect and an exemplify it, whereas climate justice is like, well, we're going to take care of all this shit at one time at the same time together at least you know people that truly understand it's grab uh speak like that so it's for me it encompasses all my work um in the capital and outside of it as an activist and as a politician um and it's something that i think roots me in in the grass and hope you know reminds me of, of where i come from where my community is for, for a long, long time yeah, no. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was really just going to say that there's not much to add or follow up on. And just that, as was identified by other panelists, we're looking at the roots when we talk about climate justice. And that has been really, for me, the way I can think about this work is, am I, am I going to the roots? Are we looking at the shared systems of oppression that we're trying to address in climate change? 
but all sorts of social justice issues, are we going to the roots? And is that where we're looking to resolve any issue, let alone climate change? Um, and although it's massive has been identified already and that's a huge lift um, to try to work through, um, it's also some clarity, there's clarity there too in, in what, what we really need to do and what the work is. Yeah, I was just gonna co-sign everything that's been said. Um, climate justice is the abolition of these systems of oppression um, and, and several of you identified how that intersects. So I agree. Great. And I know so many of you mentioned classes you took in high school or college as being influential in your current work. Um, so how would you say that education um, or what role does education play in creating change? I say education plays a huge role and especially of like when people can come into the movement. I think in Florida, especially, we have this huge problem that so many across the state, our state standards um, allow that climate change is a natural um, process uh, and they don't necessarily, teachers aren't required to teach the context of how quickly it's happening right now or um, you know how it is interwoven with all these other systems of oppression that are impacting frontline people, people all over the state of Florida as well. So um, I see a, when I was in college, uh, a lot of students are like, who would want to do something are sheltered from the facts of what's happening or um, are just totally misinformed by the, the teacher and education they grew up in. Yeah, I think education is incredibly important. Um, in academia, there's this tendency of, of climate scientists and, and, and philosophers and people with degrees that talk in circles that speak about these phenomena that impact marginalized communities in ways that do not give them agency to solve the problems that they you know deal with the most and so educating people young uh, making research accessible so people have agency in solving the the issues that affect them the most instead of someone cooped up in the library and academia is great um, but sometimes it's disjointed and it's it's theory over practice so I think it's very important that we make education accessible for, for all people, especially around climate justice. Yeah, I'd like to build on that. And when I heard the question, I didn't think just institutional education. I think about spaces like ACE. I think about places where I've learned the most about climate justice and about this work. And although the seed was first planted in an academic institutionalized setting where I've really learned the most in this work and I've been educated in this work has been outside of those spaces and um, in movement spaces and with young people, um, with you all and um, in my community. So trying to think about um, how do we create more of those spaces and how do we educate beyond certain institutions when they failed us and when we know that all those inherent flaws that we just spoke about, those systems are, are existent in, in our educational process as well. So thinking beyond that too and how we can, we can educate broader than those formal routes of education through our institutions. Um, I'd like to think that I'm fighting a lot of pipelines, not just line three, but also the schools to prison pipeline is prominent on my mind when we're talking about education, um, especially with education, it's coming from um, a white male perspective. Um, and personally, like I had to do a lot of unlearning 
um, coming into um, a new space, coming into the Anishinaabe community, um, I did do a lot of unlearning of that white male perspective and really thinking about what we're teaching our children in the education system and when we're teaching them history. Are we teaching them from an indigenous point of view um, or are we just teaching it from the colonizer, the colonization point of view? Um, and with different ideologies and um, just different um, personal politics going into all these situations, it's hard not to have a bias when teaching people things. Um, so I think that it's very important to learn, to learn in schools, but to learn outside of them. Um, I've been, like, I say this constantly, um, but I've been learning so much up north. Um, but there are also, um, with like getting your hands dirty and really getting into the movement, there are also different outlets to do that. There's a movement school that's being started that's going to be based in um, Minneapolis and St. Paul, but also one um, up north um, that I've, I'm going to be a part of, hopefully. Um, just different ways to educate yourself um, outside of that will or outside of that white male perspective is just super important, I feel like, for for your mind, your body, and soul. Um, so. Yeah, I would have to agree. Even though um, I was like privileged enough to, and privileged is a loose word, I like grew up in Milwaukee and I went to Rufus King. And if you like know anything about Milwaukee, I don't know if anybody does, it's not in like the best place. And MPS schools are like horribly underfunded. Uh, we just have the privilege of being in an IB school, which means we have a little bit more access to different courses and things like that. Um, it still sucks, though. Um, and so, to be honest, even though I'm really grateful that I was, had the opportunity to take that class, the class is not at all what it should have been. When you're teaching environmental sciences um, and about the environment and just like how it's being destroyed, um, we didn't learn anything. Uh, about the indigenous aspect, um, nothing, nothing really about how exactly like capitalism is the root of all of this. And I literally had to discover those things on my own. It was quite like a traumatic journey to like really figure out how like I had been like held down so far growing up, <laughs> like growing up poor and black and a woman you like start to realize just like how bad things were and school was not teaching me that at all. It kind of just felt like, oh, like I have it good or like I have it decent. There's nothing really like, and the way we learned about environmental sciences, it was kind of like a, um, what are things that you can do as an individual? What are things that individuals do to destroy the environment when it's not like that? in real life and when you get into the movement you really really like start to understand just how badly um, we're being impacted and how much like the government gaslights us into taking responsibility for something that's not our not something that we caused so it's really really important um, that we also although like putting these classes and systems into schools we have to reevaluate like what they're teaching, what they're showing, because at the end of the day, if we're just talking about individual actions and like 
what kind of plastics and how to recycle. Like that's pretty much what we learned about in that class is like how to recycle and all of those things. Um, unlearning those and really getting to like the bottom of things and also having conversations with different people and how they're affected by the climate crisis is extremely important. <laughs> and so like having safe spaces for people to talk about um, how they're impacted and their traumas is insanely important. I can't even like emphasize that enough. We did not get that in school. And most people don't. And it take, that's why it takes so long for people to really, really understand the root of the climate crisis and how to tackle it. Definitely. Uh, I think those were all great thoughts that you guys shared. Um, I think as a follow-up, does anyone have any uh, specific resources they might recommend to our listeners who are trying to learn, or as you so powerfully put it, unlearn? Movement school. <laughs> I think for me, getting involved in, in mutual aid efforts, I know Freedom Inc. here in Madison does a lot of good you know, social justice oriented work that will open someone's eyes to a lot of realities here in, in Madison. Um, and there's other groups across the state and across the country. And then from there, uh, finding those really grassroots and, and, and radical climate justice groups uh, will become a little bit easier. So for me, you know, volunteer for mutual aid efforts, especially during this time, um, and, and find your people and find your, your place and, you know, an open pathway from there. I also would highly recommend, you know, people apply to be on committees on their local municipal level of governance. Like I just was like, there's 18 white people on the sustainable Madison committee. I'm going to change that because that is absolutely not acceptable. And so just applying. And then when they told me they would give me a non-voting seat, emailing back like, no, bro, <laughs> I want a voting, you know, if you get representation, at least follow through with it. Right. And so like advocating for yourself and advocating for your community, um, being in places of power, um, you know, you'll feel like you're intruding, but you are just as welcome and just as, you know, um, well, you'll welcome yourself, but you're just as, 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 um, qualified to be there uh, just by virtue of who you are and your passion and your integrity. So apply to be on things, run for office. Best thing um, I think someone could do to, to, to kind of help out their community in, in a political sense when it comes to, to being in, in the Capitol. Um, you can vote and you can also run for office no matter what uh, your background is, no matter who you are. So yeah, those are my, I guess maybe I'm just trying to lobby everyone to run for office because I love when people do that. <laughs> Great, you guys. Thank you. Um, so this one's a bit more conceptual, but I'm just curious to see what you guys think. Um, do you feel that there is something symbolic about the environment generally being referred to as Mother Earth? And just, yeah, or do you think there's a reason for that? I feel very spiritually connected to the Earth. Um, on a multitude of levels. Um, I think when we refer to our earth as our mother earth, it's because she is our mother. She does provide us with shelter and food um, and with our energy, with our abundance. Um, it's super critical and important to, to understand that um, she gives so much to, to us. Um, she gives us life. 
and she doesn't expect anything in return. Um, so it's very important for me to be able to um, support her and comfort her, especially when um, she's hurting so deeply right now um, and so, um, so strongly. Um, it's really sad to see um, all the all the harm that we've caused her um, when all she has done is help us, um, especially with our water. Um, our water is so important to us and to, and to everyone. Um, we can't, we can't survive without water. It's just a fact. Um, so to, to see these, um, to see these forced being, um, demolished and destroyed completely torn down um and and the ground completely dug up um and then for the process of um, these things called an hdd to be um starting the process of digging under our water source under the mississippi river um is just scary and sad to see um especially because we all know that pipelines will leak they will spill um Enbridge um has is the reason for the number one inland oil spill in the Mississippi that um just had its 30 30th year anniversary not too long ago um and thankfully Thankfully, there was 18 inches of ice um, to protect it, but there was still so much harm done within that. Um, so I think it's very important for people like me and um, people who care about the environment to really stand up when it counts, when it matters. Um, this is a very time sensitive situation with line three. Um, when the pipeline goes in, um, they can't take it out or we all know that they won't. So. Um, I feel like it's very important to, when you feel called to, to just jump into the movement um, headfirst. That's a pretty good question for the group. And as someone who was raised a Baptist Christian and then found out all of that, a lot of it, all of it has <laughs> lies, uh, I have kind of a really bad relationship with my spirituality. But uh, I can see for sure the symbolism of Mother Earth um, providing all of our nourishment. Uh, we wouldn't be here without uh, our mothers and we people wouldn't be here. Um, life wouldn't exist without the earth. Uh, and then there's a lot of similarity to how, you know, you grow up and you think you're good, you're, you're good off, you're better off without it. You can, you know, go on without uh, and people just like, throw trash in the earth or don't think about like their ways don't think about um how they their politics and everything interplays with what they're doing to our one and only earth so um yeah and i i had a, a through line but just call your mom <laughs> and be, be good children um as i i certainly after having a child i think um I'm, I'm trying to be a better, a better daughter as well, um, as already a better earthling. I think I'm thinking about how our relationship to the earth has been so extractive and um, that there's a sense of like exchange that that's our, um, like a transactional exchange with the earth. And when I think of using 
saying mother earth or thinking about that, I think it really goes to that spiritual place because I'm hearing people in other words, talk about love um, and so many different ways and how we engage with the earth and, and what that relationship is. Cause it is more than what is here to resource humans, right? We know that that's why so much of this conversation is taking place. Um, so I think that's why it feels spiritual to me is that it's like, there's more to what is being said by calling the earth mother earth. There's, there's a conversation there about love in my mind. And that's what brings it to the spiritual space of how are we not only engaging with our geographic surrounding, but also each other. There's a lot of lessons in, um, in that relationship of us to, to a mother figure. Yeah, I think those are all really powerful thoughts. Um, my next question is, what role does the private sector play a health or a hindrance in the fight for climate justice? Um, I feel like this question was a little bit open-ended. Um, when I, the private sector, I, I was trying to think what I was thinking. Um, and when, what came to mind for me was what I'm immediately dealing with was Enbridge. Um, so, Hembridge is a Canadian corporation who is funding um, the construction of these these pipelines to go throughout the United States. Um, and they have not been kind to the water protectors in many ways. Um, they have bring in man camps, which is um, a directly cause for um, assault and sexual assault in indigenous in the indigenous community with women under the age of 18, um, which is just a scary thought. Um, but, but beyond that, they um, actually pay the police to harass water protectors and arrest them, um, which is hard to deal with a daily basis being up there, especially being a femme identified a black woman, um, being constantly hassled and, um, harassed by the police um, for, for no reasons at all, but also because um, the, it affects them too. Like the police who live in that area, um, who live in Minnesota, um, it affects them and it affects their children. Um, it's not just our water that I'm fighting for, that we're fighting for, it's everyone's water. The Mississippi is the United States' number one water source. And when that is contaminated, all of our water will be contaminated. Um, so, so I really think that um, a private sector coming in um, um, from, from Canada, who's not even a part of the United States, doesn't care about our land, doesn't care about our water, um, and that they're directly causing harm. Um, and we can talk about the private sectors within our communities that cause us harm, um, but that's a whole nother conversation. The short answer is no. Uh, like are they, they kind of more of a hindrance, um, but the, because the fact is like they are, they, they have one motivation, which is profit. And um, we kind of humanize and we're like kind of told to humanize corporations um, to like, are they doing good or bad? And like, they're always just seeking profit. Um, so when we are like, when people are able to make it more profitable to do the right thing, quote unquote, um, 
that's what they're going to do. And it's, I, I think that there, there needs to be more regulation, more, um, more of government kind of stepping in and saying, okay, we need to own this and protect this for, um, for the, the good of, of people. Like we can't allow, we can't allow un, mitigated pollution into the Mississippi rivers, like you're saying, or put pipelines everywhere and drill for oil and extract and extract because there are all these external costs that if the private companies can push it out of their bottom line, they're going to. And for the majority, for the most part of American history and in our legislative books, they've been able to successfully push it all out of their bottom line. And just like the general public bears the brunt of the cost where they're still profiting. Um, so I, I, don't, I don't think that they're like engines and that they're evil. It's just this, the whole system of capitalism has to be reworked and, and abolished so that we can um, do so much more. I was just gonna add to what Ashley said and mostly saying capitalism as a system, so long as that private sector is working within that economic model, we know that's a problem and that's exploitive and that's not going to work. Um, so again, trying to get to the roots, capitalism has to go. Not easy <laughs> to do, but that's that's the conversation. That's what's being identified as the major structure here that is leading to private companies out of Canada like Enbridge coming in and doing such terrible, deeply harmful um, development. That's a Nikki word, just harm, just harm. It's not development, it's just bad. Um, and I also wanted to put a plug at the same time to another podcast I know you all did with the Climate Commerce Group that I really did learn something there about the reality that this is the system and world we're in and how groups are trying to navigate that. So um, would point folks to that episode as well as I learned something there and people trying to address this question. So I appreciated that. So I have two questions back to back for you guys. Um, one would be what should young people who want to join the climate movement focus on? And then what changes would you like to see within the climate movement to make it more inclusive? I think we need more accessibility, more communication of what events are happening, what actions there are. I know a lot of people that aren't necessarily connected with the movement have very hard times, time, you know, trying to figure out where they can even start. Um, and so within the movement, kind of having um, this, this, you know, drive to be more inclusive, more accessible, more out there for people to see, is probably a good first step. Um, I think that it's really important when you're first joining the climate movement, um, one of the best things that you can do is focus on what your community needs. Um, uh, I'm very like, firm on the point that what will help us the most is like depending on our communities and making um, self-sustainable communities. We have to be able to depend on each other um, and everybody around us and what we can provide for each other. Everybody has something that they can provide, um, whether you're growing food or um, if you have access to a vehicle or more money than some of your friends may not have access to, then you can provide those things for one another. Um, and that's what's gonna like give us the best support um, and make drive us to do more and do better. Uh, like the government has it done in this time of this pandemic, we've gotten slim to nothing from the government. 
Um, I've seen the community in Minneapolis raise probably near millions of dollars uh, to support one another during this time. I mean, people are dropping off groceries, people are buying people phones and getting people housing and doing all of these things. Um, that's what you wanna focus on and that's what's gonna drive us forward. Um, a lot of the times, like when people first enter the climate movement, their first instinct is like, how can I insert myself in like the government <laughs> or like something electoral? And to be completely honest, I found that completely ineffective. It usually ends up super stagnant and you don't make as much progress as you would um, when you're talking about how you can support each other personally and like what you can do for your community. Like community gardens will do more than the government could ever do for your community. Um, you can get things faster and easier for your comrades and your neighbors than any anybody. <laughs> like those are the things that's gonna pull us up and support one another. It's very much like, um, it's very important to know that you can like stand with the people around you and that you can support each other. Um, I just want to applaud that because yes, no, yes. Um, um, I really think that it's important for young people who are just starting to get into this movement. Well, personally, I was just getting out of high school. I was like, oh, the climate, like, what do I do? There are so many issues in the world. I don't know how to handle or tackle all of these issues. Again, while being a black woman, with all of those other issues. I was like, how do I, how do I help in any way I can? Um, just not even knowing where to begin when looking at all of that. I think it's really important to start locally because you know your community, you know your people, you know where you're from. So again, the Minneapolis community going through the, the murder of George Floyd, still mourning that death, has really pulled together and has been doing a lot of community, community gathering and community different ways to support in that um, area. So I think that's very important to get involved locally with how to make this movement more inclusive, I would say more diverse, um, really, really acknowledging the fact that climate issue is a bigger, is more than just about climate. It's about way more than we make it out to be and um, really getting into the root of why it's so white, why the climate movement is so foreshadowed by whiteness um, constantly and really bringing in environmental racism into that, um, bringing into the fact that with climate change, with um, having a pollution and um, all these different things that affect our environment, how that affects lower income communities, specifically black communities, and how we can help with that if we all come together and make these communities, um, make these movements more intertwined, then we'd be able to help in a bigger and more impactful way, I believe, I know. Also with the systems, 
and just trying to get involved politically. Um, that's not my areas of expertise. That, that's not where I thrive. Um, I think that there's a lot of issues with our systems. So getting into that and um, trying to work the system. There's a really good quote. Um, I'm blanking on who said it or how it was actually phrased. It was, you can't destroy the master's house with the master's tools. With something like that. Um, it's basically like this system is working exactly how it was meant to be. It's not broken. It's working according to plan, um, unfortunately. And I don't think that we can effectively, like it's so deeply rooted. Racism is so deeply rooted into everything um, that I don't think that we can just fix it by going about it the way we've been going about it. So I think that we need to completely flip our idea of what we think climate justice is, um, completely flip our idea of what we think the system is or how the system works. Um, because we know that within all of this is, is colonization, is racism deeply rooted within all of this. Um, so really, really before even trying to get into these movements, understand, especially if you're a white person, understand what you're really fighting for. And if it's just about climate, think deeper than that, go deeper than that. Very good, thank you so much. Yeah, I'll add one more thing on, for young people. Uh, I just wanna add like focus as much as you need to also on your own mental health. Don't take on too much. Um, like if you're in the movement and you feel like it's hurting you, please take time for yourself. Don't feel like you have to solve the world's issues. There is time for that. So I, I just want to add that. Thank you. I feel like that's not something we always think about, but it's such an important reminder. Um, great, everybody. Thank you for all of those responses. We do just want to close it out with having it open to anything else you all would like to add. Um, and also just to be a bit more specific, if there's any action steps you'd like listeners to take. Um, I'd just like to say that the GNU Collective is always accepting um, donations, yes. Um, founded by Tara um, Hauske. Um, and I think that um, especially like if you wanna get involved, young people wanna get involved, um, specifically in the Minnesota, Minneapolis area, you can, because this summer we will be needing people to come up north, um, as many bodies as possible. It's a very, very critical, crucial time. They are, um, they're not allowed to drill under the water until the ice is completely melted and the ice is melting. So um, we will need um, as many um, people to be able to come um, and help and show their support. And I know it can be scary sometimes to be on the front lines. Um, personally, I love the front lines. You know, that's where all the action is. Um, but um, there are many, many different roles. Um, there are green roles, which means you won't be arrested at all. The orange roles, it's like maybe. And then the red where you're um, actively putting your body on the line being, I will be arrested. So if that's not for you, there are plenty of green roles um, for you to get involved in for your first time. You can come down for just a day action, maybe come down for the week, you know, and I'd love to get some more people up here for the long haul too.
um, I was just planning on coming. I was like, oh, I'm just going to come for a month. And now I'm there till, you know, till I, till the pipeline's gone. <laughs> so, so just, just putting that out there. Uh, I will jump in on the pipeline efforts and also just echo, if you do not know about the stop line three fight, you know, get online and see what you can do to contribute if you can't make it to the front lines. It's very, very important. There are also fights going on in Wisconsin for many of you based in Wisconsin. The line five reroute is uh, going through the Bat River Reservation. Um, frontline communities and indigenous folk continue to have those rights violated um, here as well. And, and the state will be affected too um, by the line three efforts. So um, I should be on this area and do what you can to support um, all the folks on the front lines and, and anything you can do to plug into the effort. Um, I will put in a quick personal plug for a virtual event, the UW Gender and Women's Studies Consortium, since um, this is female uh, climate activist space. The theme is resistance and reimagination, gender change and the arts. Um, I am an artist and I will be participating in a panel that speaks about um, art activist response to environmental crises and issues. So there are a lot of, lot of great dialogues happening in that space, but um, check it out if you can, and it's a, a safe conversation to join. I just want to make sure I correctly pronounced Tara Hauska's name. Tara Hauska. Um, I just want to plug a Patreon real quick. There is an encampment located in Minneapolis um, called Near North, and they've faced several eviction um, notices from the city. They're basically just trying to kick them out of the area that they're occupying right now. Um, and they just recently had another eviction where the police got super violent. I don't know if anyone like saw it on Twitter or anything, but the police got super violent and physically harmed quite a few people that were trying to defend the camp. And they are always looking for donations to help sustain um, all the people living there. And if obviously if they need places to go, hotels, um, food, all the people who support the camp, um, are pretty much like paying out of pocket or through the open, open collective that helps them out um, to provide meals and all of the supplies that they bring there. Um, so you can donate or sign up for like, there's different levels of Patreon where it's like $5 or like $10 or $50 where you can do reoccurring every month. Um, and it's patreon.com slash near north or you can also find um, a near north I don't know if it's a GoFundMe or something of the sort, but they're also on Twitter and they have all of their stuff linked there. So they're always looking for donations and uh, supplies if you're able to support them. Um, yeah, those are those are all incredibly important and urgent actions. I have one um, that's more just like along the lines of informational and programmatic. Uh, Alliance for Climate Education has an opportunity for young people. Um, we have officially named the program ACE Creator Collective, where we intend to no longer give funds to uh, Facebook and Google to promote uh, climate information, but instead, um, give that money to young people to create content and then um, have that be all over the social media instead, since um, social media is such an important way to kind of get information out. Uh, and we're launching the program on Earth Day. So look out for more information coming along. And then also we've been working on um, some educational material that we're posting on YouTube, uh, including a 
program we're calling Greenwashed. It's really exciting coming out in April uh, and some more information for the classrooms uh, building off of our, our climate, our future catalog. Perfect. Thank you for sharing all of those things. Overall, I cannot thank you guys enough for joining us today. This has been such an inspirational um, conversation, especially, I mean, all four of us being young, you know, female climate activists being in this space is very empowering. So thank you um, for all of your wisdom. Thank you so much for inviting us. Thank, thank you, you so much for this. this thank you so much for coming, yeah. Uh, it, it was like Zell said, it was very inspirational for me and I learned a lot, so thank you. Yeah, thanks YTC and thanks fellow panelists. Bye everyone. Bye, thank you. Bye, thank you. Bye fellows, miss you all, take care. Bye Abby. Bye. Bye Abby. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this episode. Special thanks to our guests, Nada El-Nakastri, Ashley Young, Ayana Lee, Abby Ross, and Noke. All of the links they referred to can be found in the podcast description. This podcast is created by an independent group of youth action fellows from the Alliance for Climate Education. Those fellows are Zella Milford, Sophie Smith, Lisa Morales, Mario Kenacasco, uh, Julian Arenas, and me, Kali Gagan. You can find Youth Talk Climate on Instagram at Youth Talk Climate. Email us your thoughts or ideas at youthtalkclimate at gmail.com. That's all, folks. <laughs>